0: I would like to share with you today from the Old Testament, we go to the book of 1 Samuel, the third chapter, and here out of the New Living Translation, we will read the first 10 verses of that third chapter as the Lord speaks to a young boy by the name of Samuel. And this is what is written, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli, Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now and gone to bed, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel, yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli, here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed, so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel, again Samuel got up and went to Eli, here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli, Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious Father, in this place, may we indeed have ears with which to hear, hearts with which to know you, and a courage by which to serve you. May I hide in the shadow of the cross, and may these be your words and not mine. And may we learn from your scripture that we might apply these words to our lives and the lives that we touch, always for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we ask these things. Amen. Here's a fact about life. Things change. Things change. I know that's hardly a profound observation, but especially as we grow older, we realize more and more and more how things change around us. And the older we seem to get, the things change a lot faster. Laurie and I just got back from our little whirlwind trip to go visit the children and the grandchildren. So we have been to Muncie, Indiana and suffered through about four or five inches of snow and ice, headed south by eight hundred some miles and spent time in Spanish Fort, Alabama, and last weekend I was walking on the beach in Gulf Shores. It was a balmy, 55 degrees. I know that seems warm to you, but for those folks, that's a cold snap. Then we went to Blairsville, Georgia to visit Laurie's sister and brother-in-law, and now home. And it is always good to be home. It is always good to be with you. But as you travel around, especially as you watch your children and your grandchildren, you realize how fast things are happening, how fast they're growing up, how much they're learning, and indeed, how much things are changing, not only in their lives, but in your lives as well. Now, it hasn't always been that way, especially when we were younger. Do all of you remember, regardless of what your home life was like, when you lived in your house with your mom and your dad, do you remember what that was like? You thought things were going to stay pretty much the same forever. Oh, yeah, you'd get your license, sure. And you'd go off to college, but you'd come back and live with mom and dad somewhere along the line. Because mom and dad were never going to get older, right? They were always going to stay the same age. Laurie and I joke about this because, you know, I think our kids think we're still 35, even though we're forty-two, I think they look at thirty-five. <laughs> they expect us to be able to do and say and move around like thirty-five-year-olds, because your parents never get older. But things change, don't they? We do get older. Do you remember back in high school? back when there were cliques that you desperately wanted to be a part of so that you could be accepted for whatever reason, and for whatever reason you were not accepted as part of that clique, and you thought forever that you would be the black sheep, you would always be on the outside looking in, you would never be appreciated for who you are. But that changed, didn't it? How about your romantic relationships? Do you remember the first time a boy or a girl turned you down and ended? You thought it was the end of the world. I'll forever go through life alone. I'll never find that special someone. I'm so tired of watching the Hallmark Channel and all those <laughs> things. Like love springs eternal. Now we're starting Valentine's Day. I thought we were done. We got through Christmas, but love springs at Valentine's Day too. So, But things are like that, aren't they? And they don't really necessarily change when we're adults. We take on that same thing. We take on that same feeling. Sometimes because of our jobs or because of our schooling or because of our relationships, we feel like we're on an eternal merry-go-round, going round and round and round. Things are never going to change, and no, it's ever going to stop, we're never going to be able to get off. But it does, doesn't it? Sometimes as we really get old, we have to take care of a spouse or perhaps parents And we realize as much as we love them that things are going to change in their lives. But some days it appears that things are never going to change. It's just going to be this way forever. But yet, given enough time, life does change things. We may feel like we're on a merry-go-round, but we're not. Change and dealing with change is a part of our lives. Not simply as individuals, but as a church. As we enter this new year, this 2018, I want you to be assured of one thing, that there will be change, and it will not all be good. Now, I would hope that whatever change is affected in this church will indeed be God-inspired and God-good that we will be doing his will in his way. But change throughout our country and change throughout our world is not necessarily going to be good all the time. But the one thing I am confident more than anything else is that God is still in control. That whatever change comes, he will use to his advantage and in accordance to his will. And as such, he calls upon the church, his church, you and I, to be listening for his word in our lives and to be part of the change that he uses for his divine plan. Not change for the sake of change, not change because we hear it from outside, but because we are listening to God and we hear it from the inside out. If there's one thing that the Christian faith asserts is that God is not going to let things remain the same. Sin and evil are not going to win at the end of the day. The kingdom of God is coming, and the fullness of that kingdom is going to change everything. Are we ready? Are we ready as believers? Are we ready as a church for that kind of change? You know, there is a reason that in accepting Christ, the word used is usually called conversion conversion because that means to change. Conversion is to change. You cannot know Jesus Christ and remain the same because in knowing Jesus you are transformed, you are changed. And that should make all the difference. Listening to God's voice And being a part of his will in that change is a component of today's scripture story. The one we read out of 1 Samuel. The incident takes place at the end of the period of judges because there was no king over Israel. There was no nation per se. Rather, the Israelites were a loose confederation of tribes. And when enemies attacked or decisions had to be made, they gathered judges together. They were called forth And they were to make the decisions because there was no institutionalized national leadership in the country. There was no office with authority to head over the different tribes. Unfortunately, the people adopted this same loose attitude toward their responsibilities to the covenant with God as well. The book of Judges describes this period at the close of that book. There in chapter 21, these words are written, In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's where things stood here at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And as a result of this free-for-all religion, people weren't hearing much from God. Largely because they weren't interested in listening to God. Perhaps that sounds a little like the world in which we live. Perhaps we're not really interested in listening to God. Our reading from the third chapter this day opens with, The word of God was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. In other words, it had been a long time. People had felt they were all on their own. They could do whatever they wanted to. And the person who practiced religion and who was sought more than anyone else was Eli, who was both a high priest and a judge. The temple in Jerusalem had not yet been built. So the people used the one that they used in the wilderness after they had left Egypt, that portable tabernacle. And Eli lived right next door to that tabernacle, there in the the city or the environs of Shiloh. And Samuel, that you read about, was a boy who had been dedicated by his mother to the service of God. And he lived in the tabernacle. He went around doing errands, washing things, serving things. And one night we see in this story that God calls Samuel by his name. Samuel runs to Eli. He does this three times saying, I'm here, did you call me? And finally, Eli realizes it's the Lord talking to Samuel, and he instructs specifically exactly that which Samuel is supposed to do. Go and lie down, and if he calls you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down, and once again the Lord comes to him and says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel replies, speak for your servant is listening. What a beautiful, beautiful story. Now, we could go into a lot more of the story because God continued to speak and to use Samuel. Samuel grew into a new spiritual leader of the people, and he shows us in this example how important it is to listen to God, especially in prayer, and that shouldn't come as as a surprise to any of us, especially in reading the New Testament because we have the example again and again of how Jesus felt it was so important to be in prayer. He believed that listening to the voice of God was the most important thing that you could do. Now, if we're honest, most of us don't bother to listen much, do we? Not really. And I think we miss out on some of the greatest joys that God has to offer us. If you and I were truly listening to God, As God's deepest wish is, I think we would have joys beyond our wildest expectations. But that's not the way things are. I want to remind you that hearing is not the same as listening. Hearing is not the same as listening because listening means you're the most important thing to me. I'm focused in on you and your words are what I want to hear. I would imagine there's some husbands out there today who just hear their wives. They don't listen. And ladies, I'm not going to leave you out. I'm sure there's some wives out there that just hear their husbands, but don't listen. Listening is different. It's the most important thing we can do. Remember what Paul says. He says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice he doesn't say faith comes by talking or faith comes by doing. He says faith comes from hearing, and hearing can only happen if you truly, honestly listen. In our Scripture, God has been silent for years and years and years, but he will be silent no more. There have been no visions, but now there will be many visions because God is going to use this change, and Samuel will be a part of this change and this new beginning in the nation of Israel. You see, this story is not simply about listening. It's also about the change that comes along with that. God works through change. Now, I know that seems a little ironic in cases, but God works through change, but we're always told that God stays the same. The Lord doesn't change, and that is true. One of the psalmists wrote in 102, long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like clothing and they pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. And if we go to Hebrews, we come across that piece of scripture to which all of us are familiar Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Theologians have a word for this, this characteristic of God. It's called immutability. Immutability. It means unchangeableness. You can look that up when you go home. The fact is that even though God is immutable, that his characteristic is immutability, that doesn't hinder him from using change for his divine plan. And that is exactly what he does because God is always in control. I have to tell you, folks, and maybe these last two weeks bring things more clearly than anything else, I look at the world in which we live, I look at the country in which we live, and I'm distressed I am truly and honestly distressed. I'm distressed by the continuing onslaught of the culture upon the church, upon the constant secularization of Christianity. And the trouble with it is there's more change coming. You know that and I know that. But I also know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be listening for God's Word in my life and following His direction, following His lead. Not the directions of leaders or pontificators or pundits or so-called experts, but the Word of God. If I'm going to say I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I need to follow His Word, not all the rest of the abundance of words that get spouted off. As a church, we need to be following that word also. We need to stop bending our beliefs. We need to stand up for what we believe is truth in the Scripture. Not the desires of society, but the truth that God has written and that supposedly each and every one of us follow. If we serve God as we are supposed to serve Him, We need to stand up and be counted, and we cannot be afraid of the truth, whatever it brings, especially as we look back at our brothers and sisters in the early church and what they went through. What makes it any different 2,000 years later? Not a thing. Not a thing. Tomorrow, we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., I believe that he was a man of incredible passion with a burning desire to listen for the Word of God and be directed by God, especially as it applied to the rights and the equality of African Americans. If you ever have an opportunity, you need to read his letter from the Birmingham jail. It was written in April 1963. It is a beautifully constructed letter, and although you may not believe everything that he writes, he comes up with a wonderful, wonderful idea of what it means to be nonviolent, to resist, and to stand up for what you truly believe in. His letter, letter reminds us of what the power And the courage of the early church was all about and gives us the example of today what our power and what our courage as the church should be. Listen to Dr. Martin Luther King's words. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed in. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than men. They were small in number, but they were big in commitment. I love that. They were small in number, but they were big in commitment. So I ask you as a church, are we committed to the social justice of the world? Are we as a church willing to stand up against the secularization of the beliefs that we have? Are we willing to stand up for the inspired word of God as the foundation of our behavior, that this is what we're supposed to live like and this is how we're supposed to treat others? Are we able to truly love others as we love ourselves, or are those just written words on a paper? Are we willing as a church to love like Jesus Christ loved us, loved us so much that he would die to redeem us and to restore our relationship with God? Are we as a church willing to listen to the word of God and committed enough to follow that word? The lesson for today is that we need to be quiet and still long enough to hear God's voice in our lives, and then we need to be courageous enough to follow His direction. God doesn't change, but He works through changes that His divine will, that His divine plan might come to fruition, and we have the perfect example in today's Scripture. The change that God instituted through Samuel brought a new opportunity to the nation of Israel that their relationship and covenant might be restored, that they might walk in the ways of righteousness, and that once again they might have God's word in their own lives. How is the Lord calling you today? How is God speaking to you? I think we're all called to get involved. We're all called to be involved in the church, in the community, and in the country. And I think we're called to do God's will in His way. Not the pursuits of the world, but the pursuits of our Heavenly Father. We are called to stand up for the truth, and we are called to follow the Scripture, His inspired Word. And we are called to apply that truth not only to our lives, but to the lives we come in contact with. If we ever needed to listen to God, now is the time. If we ever needed to truly understand what he is saying to us, now is the time. There's so much negative in our world. So much... I'm first, and the rest of you are a distant second. And that's not what God teaches us. But my question to you is, who are you listening to? And what voice are you following? I think the call of God is in each and every one of your lives, if you'll just be still and quiet long enough to hear his voice. But are we listening Are we truly listening, saying, Lord, you're the most important thing, and I want to hear exactly what you're saying to me? Samuel replied, speak, for your servant is listening. Are we? Are we? And then do we have the courage To follow. Would you bow your heads with me, please?